Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump into today's conversation. My guest today is Anna Marie Watson. Anna Marie is a certified performance coach and coach supervisor who loves to escape the confines of four walls and co-create conversations with nature. She is a former British Army officer and has worked in incredibly challenging environments from snowy Arctic tundra to hot and sandy deserts. Anna Marie is happiest outdoors and she currently resides in the rolling countryside of Wiltshire in the United Kingdom. Anna Marie describes herself as having an insatiable curiosity of the world and also being a self-certified learning junkie with a postgraduate certificate in applied coaching from the University of Derby and a master's in teaching from the University of Sydney. She also has other psychological and psychometric based coaching tools that she is certified in using. Alongside her passion for performance and coaching, Anna Marie has what she terms a severe ultra running habit. She loves racing, especially when it involves travel. She's achieved multiple podium positions on the International Ultra Trail World Tour Series, the Marathon de Sable, and other crazy long distance events. Anna Marie is on a mission to encourage a different approach to work where our natural environment is valued within the business world. She's the co-host of the Coaching Outdoors podcast and has also contributed to a couple of books, The Coach's Handbook and Succeeding as a Coach, which is on eco-coaching. When I first met Anna Marie, it was in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, where we were both living as expats. And if my memory serves me correctly, we met while Anna Marie was training for the Marathon de Sable, which is, I believe I can safely say the world's toughest marathon. And by marathon, it is six marathons in six days across the desert. It is a ridiculous race. And Anna Marie was in the midst of training for this. And I, and I think when we first met, it was not too many weeks before the actual race. And I remember she gave me the information where I could follow her. And she was asking people to send her messages because at the end of the day, while she was in her tent, they would deliver her, mes- deliver her messages and inspiration from friends. So I was like, oh, that would be fun to do. And so I can't remember the exact details but I remember logging into the site and looking for Anna Marie and figuring out where I could send her a message. And I was looking at where people were in the race position and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm like, whoa, this woman is doing really well. She's like, I think the first day I looked, she was maybe sixth out of all of the women in the race. And then over the next few days, she moved into second place of all the women. And I remember thinking to myself, I have just met this woman and I think she's a famous athlete. This is amazing. So we talk about this race and you'll hear a little bit more from Anna Marie 
during our conversation of her experience with the Marathon to Solve. And it is just such a cool memory. Anna Marie is such an inspirational person and incredibly humble and understated as well. She's a phenomenal coach. She is on an amazing mission to try to get more people outdoors, coaching outdoors, working outdoors, really um, just really embracing and absorbing all of the benefits of nature and being outdoors and what that um, the value that it adds to us as humans, which is really near and dear to my heart. In our conversation towards the end, we talk about this and I actually come up with some really um, great ideas thanks to, to Anna Marie and her suggestions to make my indoor working space more connected to outdoors and nature. So listen up for that. Um, Anna Marie, thank you so much for sharing your stories. I, we have just scratched the surface and I'm already looking forward to future conversations, but I'm so grateful for all of your wisdom and your life experience and your, um, unique perspectives that you share with us here today. So thank you very much. I will also, um, add a quick note here to please check out the show notes because uh, I have all the links there for being in touch with Anna Marie via the social media platforms that she is on and also a link for her podcast coaching outdoors. So be sure to check those out. Anna Marie, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Hey Lisa, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you this gorgeous morning. I, I'm really looking forward to our conversation for so many different reasons, Anna-Marie. And you are one of those people that I I love thinking back to how we first connected in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, of all places. And then, you know, over the years, we keep bumping to each other in Prague and then most recently in Amsterdam. And it it's just such a, I love this part of the expat life and the the network and the connection and um, just really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, I got total goosebumps as you were just describing that. It was just, it was just one of those universal connections. And every time we've met, it hasn't been premeditated other than this podcast date. Yeah. Um, it's just been um, really organic. And I just, it just brings this kind of warm glow, almost thinking back to Riyadh when we were creating coaching conversations and the amazing Reem was just phenomenal in driving the, the entire coaching profession forward in Saudi Arabia, ultimately. Yes. It was just such a, an unusual, unprecedented time that, what, back in 2013, 2014? And it, it's, yep. it seems such a long time ago now. But no, it's always a pleasure to bump into you um, in different different spaces and places. And I love our conversations. Same, same here. So as we jump into this conversation, we were talking before we started recording that neither one of us know exactly where the conversation is going to go, which I, I love. This is an exciting part of doing the podcast for me. Um, but I do have a consistent first question that I like to ask. And that is around this idea of making life less difficult. So it, the, the idea comes from this quote by Mary Ann Evans, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And I'm curious, what does that mean to you? Mm. And I was in doing a little bit of preparation 
um, for our conversation today, I was just kind of mulling it over. And straight away, I came back to, it's almost like the two non-negotiable pillars that I form my life on. And it's ultimately about nourishing my body, my humanness. And it comes down to sleep and nutrition. Ultimately, if I default in any way on those two elements, I just can't function properly, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Mm. So for me, it's really bringing it back to those basics that how can I have, and I love the term exquisite self-care, to really look after ourselves. And I will hands up admit this whole notion, self-care, which it's talked about a lot more now, when I was, I was working in partnership with an amazing coach back in 2015, um, and she, she, she shared this concept, and it was like, I need to look after myself. What, what, what's, you know, I, I tend to drive myself pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely a bit of a, a, bit of a, a striver and achiever, type A, military background, kind of go, 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 do, 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 goal, 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 achieve, 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 try to overachieve, overachieve. And it's uh, actually, no, let's bring it back. Let's be kind to myself. Let's be gentle to myself. And actually... I'm sure we'll touch on my, my, my ultra running habits a little bit with, with my training and my work. I need to look after myself. If I don't look after myself, then I can't look after you know, my, my clients my, in, within my coaching work. So it's, it's coming back and having these boundaries within life, setting up a day-to-day routine around sleep and around uh, nutrition and having a very kind of you know, whole body approach. I am I'm just a little bit speechless <laughs> with the way that you went right to this concept of nourishing your body. And even the way that you phrase that, Anna-Marie, because I've found in my own life and in the particular context that I was brought up, I kind of, I don't think intentionally, but I think just culturally was almost taught to ignore my body. I mean, yeah, you got to sleep and you got to eat, but um, not a lot of attention paid to my body. And it is something that I've had to learn to be intentional about. And I'm, I'm curious, like you mentioned the coach in 2015. Um, and I, I'd love if you'd share a little bit more of your journey of getting to this place of being really clear that foundational for you is nourishing your body, sleep, nutrition. Tell us a little bit more about your journey, getting to this point of clarity on that. I think, I think it's during my twenties. I think like a lot of people, I, I worked hard, I played hard, I was in the, the British Army for nine years during that period of time and, and life in the officer's mess in Germany, um, in, in, the, in, the, in the noughties, so to speak, um, when we weren't on operational tour, which was for a chunk of time. Um, you know, we, 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 it was very social. There was a lot of kind of peer pressure to, to drink. The food um, was provided by a contractor, so it wasn't necessarily what, I would have chosen to eat at the time, though it was there. There wasn't any alternative, and it was it, it almost this whole entire notion of sleep. Well, you know, I pans up. I drank every evening. You know, to get back to my room, I'd have to walk past the bar. And there's a 22, 23 year old saying no to a higher rank um, officer that's that's hard and you know we're social creatures so I was in the bar gin and tonics bottles of red wine and you know that clearly then you know now I know a lot more about sleep and the impact that alcohol has 
So how much quality sleep are you getting? But, you know, in your 20s, you can kind of get away with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I didn't have as much control over what I ate per se. And in a way, it, it tracks my ultra running career. Um, uh, the more I started to take my running long distances seriously and again a bit of a theme I've worked with a with a coach and it, it is by partnering with others that you learn when you're on your own you know there's only so much you know reading and research and listening to other podcasts that you can do and that has been a massive part of my journey um I remember when I was living in Riyadh I used to listen to a podcast Fitter Food and and they really started to transform my relationship with food and mm really take it back to ultimately cooking from scratch so mm. everything that I do now is I get all kind of veg box um everything I you know it, it takes time and it, it and I, I get it in a busy you know the b word and we wouldn't get into this podcast far without mentioning it and um, we are all <laughs> super busy we, none of us have enough time but hey if we had an extra hour in the day we still wouldn't have enough time so it, it does come back to that kind of ruthless prioritization and actually, it is that rigorous prioritization that really now enables me to prioritize kind of sleep and food. Um, and a book that we were mentioning earlier around sleep that I found really, really educational. And, and, and you know, I love the science as a part of my analytical, rational brain that just kind of show me the proof, show me the mm. evidence. And, you know, why we sleep, Matt Walker, is is definitely one to get stuck into. It's pretty meaty. So if you're looking for a light version, check out his Google Talk. I often recommend that to clients. Because, again, I, I have a lot of conversations um, about work-life balance and, you know, people struggling to sleep. Even just next week, I've got um, a, a webinar that I'm presenting to a company around sleep and recovery. And it's, you know, sleep and sleeps, we're an always on culture society in this desire to do more to to you know create more money to constantly grow it's that in itself as a concept when you look at nature for example nothing continually grows there's always this period of rest and recovery so that we can recharge we are refreshed we're revitalized and actually we can go again and when I think about performance um you know as an athlete and my training um I'm aware I'm bobbing about a little bit here um you know when you've been for a big race and you've really put everything into it you have to have that recovery time afterwards and I kind of like to bring that analogy of racing into work you know if you've been working on like a massive big project and hitting that deadline and you know really putting the brain cell effort into it there needs to be time to recharge afterwards we don't have this never-ending kind of energy or battery supply. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to take a pause now because I'm going on a few little tangents. <laughs> no, there's so there's so much there, and the I think coming back to just the prioritization of these basic things in life, it is amazing how quickly we can push them aside, push the sleep aside, grab something quick, and you know, fast with eating and then forget about the importance of just, again, like those, those basic things of sleep and eat. And and I'll throw in the third one there of, of breathing, right? Because breathing is so important. And also <laughs> we tend not to think about it. And, and so I think it is, um, it's so valuable to come back and say, here, here's really the foundation and if we're going to make life 
less difficult for ourselves. And and hopefully when we do that, we can be more present and, and helpful to others. We've got to be taking care of ourselves. Um, what, what was the term you used around self-care? Exquisite self-care. Exquisite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that it, it, it's interesting because my reaction to that intellectually is like, oh my gosh, that sounds so beautiful. And physically, I actually feel myself tense a little bit. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had to, and I'm going to come back to the, the addition you added. I've, 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 I've learned to breathe into it and mm-hmm. to almost like luxuriate in it. And for me, it's been, I, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. I am worth it. So for me, it comes back to self-worth and self-validation, which again, when I'm working with coaching clients, have a lot of conversations around and that's deep when you're going and that's it's at that you know belief level and for me it's always I've I've carried you know I'm I'm not good enough so well if I'm not good enough then why do I need to look after myself you know it's that kind of self-sacrifice for the greater cause and you know being in the military that kind of kind of uh, um, intensify that as well mm-hmm. and it's almost when you follow a belief like that to the nth degree how healthy is that and just questioning it and coming coming back to kind of neutrality ground zero let's have a reset and ultimately that's you know within the coaching world that's what we what we do and it's almost well you kind of need to walk the walk as well as talk the talk um so I you know I want to be modeling um the way that I live so I'm authentic that I'm so I'm real if I'm having conversations with clients and I'm, you know, not looking after myself, then that's that's a total misalignment, and it it just doesn't it doesn't sit. Yeah. It, if if you're willing, I am intrigued of your journey of getting to the place where you can, from the core of who you are, say I'm worth it. Um, I I relate to what you were saying about you know kind of growing up and sacrificing and. I grew up in a family where for a variety of reasons, women are expected to sacrifice for others and put yourself aside, put others first. And so I know it's been, it it is a, it is a continuing journey for me to get to that place to say, I deserve it. And for it to really come from the core of who I am, right. It's one thing to say it intellectually. Um, So I'd love if you're willing to share just a little bit more about your journey specifically there of getting to, I am worth this. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's still ongoing. I will very much hands up. I admit that. Um, I was hoping um, you would say that you're hundred percent there and then tell ah, us all the secret. <laughs> <damn>. <laughs> oh, but this is what makes life interesting. This is what, this is what we're here to do the work. Um, so. And, and, and similar, so so growing up and, you know, at the roots for us back in childhood or, you know, whether our ancestral roots, whether that's within your frame of reference world or not, what you believe in, totally respect people's either way. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think there is definitely, you know, pre, pre-birth, maternal lineage, ancestral wounds that we we carry in different ways, whether we have an awareness or or not of them. And we live in a culture and society. This is a 
patriarchy by millennia. So as females, we are carrying that within us, you know, muscle memory, beliefs, what we're born into. And the stories that we tell ourselves, the narratives that we spin, the truth or reality in them, it's almost to the degree it doesn't matter. If you've been telling yourself something, if you've been telling yourself something for decades, it is real to you and it has an impact. And that is what is important. So sometimes what was at the heart of it, how you remember it, was that the truth? Who, who knows? It, it, it's almost well, that's been, that's gone. It's how you make it real to you now. Mm-hmm. So for me, a lot of my story um, is around I, I was the eldest. Um, I have a, a younger brother who's three years younger than me, David, who I loved a bit. And we are still really close. And that brings me a lot of joy. Um, though I was born a girl and I believed that my parents really wanted a boy to carry on the family business. So, um, and during my, my birth as well, I was six weeks premature. My mother had preeclampsia and basically my parents were told that it was extremely unlikely that we were both going to survive. It was either going to be my mother or me. So there's an element of trauma involved there. Um, I was then in hospital for a long time, separated, isolated from my mother. And what impact does that have? You know, bonding, forming relationships at that age. You know, who knows? Um, So I have carried a degree of guilt around being female and not being good enough. and I have manifested that in my life, particularly growing up as really uh, being super conscientious, being a total people pleaser, being a real, you know, straight A student sponsored by the army, being, you know, top of my platoon, having the gold braids and carrying the sword and, you know, joining the military and, you know, ultimately pushing for perfection mm. and in a way striving to be, to be male. You know, I was very much a tomboy. When I was younger, I joined pretty much the most masculine institution you could pick. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it was was proving myself. I may not be male, but by damn, I can keep up and meet, beat, you know, the majority of the boys. So any idea of the feminine for me, um, the yin and the yang, was was just almost I was scared of because I'd never built that relationship with my feminine. Um, and that balance and it's it's really only been in the last I don't know you hit 40 and, you, <laughs> and, and for me it's a little bit of a cliche and when I hear myself say it it's like oh I God. love it I really to it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no I mean but seriously um the last couple of years has definitely been a, a big reevaluation of my life and I'm sure that's been the same with a lot of people with COVID it's it definitely kind of stopped me in my tracks um coaching business wise there was a period of time where everything was just stopped was cancelled as an athlete raced stock races you know the, the, the season for the last two years has been pretty non-existent so mm. there, there was definitely a pause to stop and I've definitely been on a bit of a, a soul searching journey with you know, partly through my yoga practice and partly through meditation and that has built on all the the reading um, and self-development and like, the coaching work whether that's been more motivational whether that's been behavioral whether that's been based on neuroscience and um, whether it's been through my running coaching um so this is it's like it's almost just taking it to the next level 
So if I hadn't done all that work and all that preparation beforehand, then I wouldn't be able to be where I am now. And even now, you know, it's still it's still ongoing. Um, and yeah, I see the rest of my life as a, a learning journey. And you know, everybody that you 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 meet knows something that you don't. And it's having that ability to connect with that individual and to see them for who they truly are and be willing to learn yeah. or relearn or unlearn. That's what I love. Yes. Yes. There's, oh my goodness. There's so many things. I love what you said here at the end of every person you meet knows something that you don't and how can you be open to that? That is just a beautiful perspective and way of being in the world and in inviting people into our life in such a beautiful way. It makes me, um, driving back from Devon, um, on Friday, I've been down at a course at Dartington Hall. Um, definitely recommend your listeners to check out. It's an absolutely beautiful space. Um, I've been on several courses there and there's always people from all around the world. Um, so the one I was on was balancing the brain with Ian McGilchrist and Satish Kumar and very much it was neuroscience meets ancient wisdom and having a lot of discussions around that which in itself is a fascinating concept and then we did Qigong on the lawn every every day so we're driving back and um, Joe he was just looking through something about the wounded masculine and we just pulled off to the side of the road and to switch drivers and he's like so out of these what what do I need to work on? Because we're constantly challenging each other as you know with, within our own work. Mm-hmm. And he started reading down this list of kind of the wounded masculine. Um and and basically the list was it's me that's got the work to do on the wounded masculine, not him. <laughs> so it was kind of, I was like, oh, okay, so I've got a wounded masculine and a feminine that's kind of embryonic. <laughs> okay, that that's definitely more than a lifetime's worth. But the thing that triggered me to say that was it was the judgment. So part of wounded masculine is, is judgment and, and judging others and that is definitely something that I've I've really had to catch myself and it comes from what I judge myself if I yeah. judge myself and I judge myself not to be male I'm female that's you know that's the, the basic premise as a starting point then if I'm judging myself then of course I'm going to be judging others and that's like that's awful but then but I shouldn't be judging myself <laughs> so that you know that in itself there's, there's enough work to go on there for um yeah and it takes such courage to to look at that, and and I I'm so appreciative of you sharing this story and 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 going back to that, you know, the fact that you were born as a, as a female and and feeling guilt about that, and it's so interesting to me that there's I feel like as I age I learn more and more things that I hold some sort of guilt or shame around that happened as a kid or even like and and that things that. I had no control over, right? You, you clearly had no control over your sex when you were born and, and who you were born to and the circumstances around that. And yet it's so interesting and, and fascinating to me that we carry those things so deep within us into our adult lives and they continue to impact us um, until we can get to a point of, you know, working through it and recognizing and being like, oh, well, I actually had no control over this, right? How can I set that aside? How can I heal from from these things? Um, and it's super 
I, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating and interesting and, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, and it, it, it's hard. And, you know, for me being able to give myself permission to first of all, stop mm. because giving yourself time to process this, and it's not just a rational process. It's, it's a, it's an emotional process and it's a, it's it's a deeper it's a part of you and you know you talked about breathing as the other other area and you know as a, as a species it's a kind of it's natural that we seem to become disassociated from breathing quite a lot yes. um and you know we all breathe particularly when we're we're sat down very much within our chests and mm. we don't engage our diaphragms and then actually what does that do to the movement within our rib cages well actually our ribs they don't and we need our ribs to move because that is what does those micro movements within our skeletal um frame at the back so then when why people why do people have so much upper back pain yes it's because they're sitting in funny positions but it's also because there's no movements because we're not breathing properly mm-hmm. and and breathing is also key to release emotions and during lockdown, um, there was an amazing, amazing guy, um, the breath, the breath, the breath guy. I'll send the link through. Um, and he basically every Wednesday did a 90 minute breathwork session reading through the chakras. And actually, it was just for me to do that consistently during lockdown, what was released, what came up. Mm. Um, and, you know, for me before that, I, you know, I'd come across the chakras doing yoga. Um, but to really, on a week-to-week basis, what has been held, and a lot was it to the throat for me, mm-hmm. and it was all about, you know, speaking up, voicing my truth. And again, as a child, it was, you know, children are not children are seen and not heard, or mm-hmm. children are spoke spoke speak when they're spoken to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, overcoming those narratives of again as a female speaking up, and yes, it's it's been a journey into alternate therapies different modalities because it's not just the brain that we are working with um and yes a part of my journey has been satisfying the the rational prefrontal cortex that's only part of the work Mm. really to go beyond that you have to engage your other modalities that your your different senses and Mm. and give them the time because our bodies work on different times you know our brain may be able to process information quite fast but actually emotions are particularly deep rooted emotions that have been embedded for for decades actually to release them you really need to feel safe you really need to feel held um and actually for me it's been working with others who have created that space that i have been able to give myself permission to let go and accept mm-hmm. and and i i I ran across this um, a little over a year ago where I was actually able to articulate kind of what you're saying here of having someone else hold the space for me, because as a, as, as coaches, right, we are trained to hold a space for others. And it was during a yoga retreat that at the, the very end, I had this crazy release of emotion where I just you know, started crying. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm crying about, but these tears are coming and it it feels like it's wonderful release. And I, and I realized after thinking about it, it was having um, the instructor hold this space 
And I realized how valuable that is. And, and I think that that's been the top of my mind rate of, okay, yes. And I really like holding space for others Um, as a coach, as a friend, as a, as a partner, like I, I enjoy that. And if I'm going to keep myself at a, at a place where I can hold the space effectively for others, I need to find people and spaces where I am held by others in that space. And that is crucial and and can be hard to find. Totally. And I would, I definitely a firm advocate that every coach or individual who's working in a supportive profession needs that space and the ability to dip into it on a regular basis mm-hmm. um and without that you're doing almost you know it's yourself and others a disservice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crucial absolutely yeah. crucial and and i'm it's, it's almost i'm always i kind of look back at people and coaches that i've worked with and how they've entered my life at certain times and it, it it's that kind of adage when the when the student is ready the teacher will appear mm. and it's you know the right person often appears at the right time mm-hmm. or i think we were talking about this earlier ask um and as an english uh, kind of asking for things like oh um I know some people kind of find asking for help, asking support easier than others. And that's definitely something I've I've had to work with. And again, it's I mirror it back to conversations I've had with my clients. And it's that, well, you know, if you asked, if someone asked you for help or for support, what do you say? And you know, the automatic answer is, well, yes, because people naturally kind of want to help. But then, you know, for me, I've been holding myself back, well, I can't possibly impose, can't possibly ask. So it's this weird kind of conundrum that we create often just in our heads. Mm-hmm. um I know coming back to a, a, the work that I've done done lately it's I think partly so for me living the expat life I've pretty much moved every 18 months from the ages of 18 to 36 I think it was mm-hmm. um and, and that's within the army and then when I left the army I worked in the Middle East Australia back to the Middle East so it's very you know, we often get caught in patterns within our life and cycles. And it's mm-hmm. it was very much if I reached that 18 month point, I'd kind of almost that's the 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 posting cycle within the British Army. And then if you throw in you know, military tours as well, it's it's a lot of churn. So yes. for me, movement was the norm. To be still was almost uncomfortable. And particularly if I hit hit a certain point, I'd start getting a little bit restless and want to move on. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been now in in the southwest of England since 2015, and this is the longest I've been anywhere. And admittedly, pre-COVID, there was a lot of travel involved. Um, I'm fortunate to have an apartment in the French Alps, which I love going to. Though again, I, I've not um, for the last couple of years. So it's almost I've I've been forced to be in one place, mm-hmm. and that grounding to a place has actually opened me up in different ways and I believe partly enabled me to be still to then actually go inside to really really reflect because if I'd just been constantly moving you know movement takes a degree of energy um it's that whole you know movement settling in planting your feet establishing yourself and then you're there for a period of time and then actually you're looking ahead for the next move and it's 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 that kind of constant cycle though actually because I've been in Wiltshire 
I've, I've just been here and I've got to know the place in a level that I've not known a place since I was a child mm. and actually having that groundedness and settling to a degree there's still a little nomad inside of me I won't lie <laughs> so that has given me the environment and enabled me to build deeper connections with people and mm. to form bonds and to generate deeper trust that I felt I've been able to really deep dive into myself. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how it can, I, I find I, I grew up in one spot and then started moving in my late twenties and then internationally in my, my mid thirties. And I found it, it can almost be, I, I not almost, it, it, it is addictive to be on the go, to be moving every few years, to be restarting. And there's, there's wonderful benefits to it. And there's also, um, I think there's some risks too, where we can, we can avoid going inside. We can avoid some of the, the deep inner work that, um, it doesn't have to be done. And yet if we are willing to go there, I, I find adds a richness to life and relationships that, um, isn't found in the more superficial layers. It isn't. It's that. So for me, the travel started. I grew up in the northeast of England, and it's beautiful, and I got a lot of happy memories there. Though I knew I was never going to stay. I don't know where that came from. Mm. A lot of my friends are still there um, in literally the same neighbourhoods, which you know it work works for them. Though I always knew I was going to leave and. Joining the army was a, a way to to travel to see the world. You know, my parents always we went. You know, I went to India at the age of eleven for the first time, and feel really, really fortunate to have had that exposure to different cultures. And I think there's an immense richness in travel, and I do feel incredibly lucky to have had that opportunity at such a young age. And for us, family holidays were what we did together, what we planned together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've I've always loved to travel, um, and it's almost I've then taken it to the other extreme, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it does. And, and and I think there's also there's there's phases in your life when it it works, and then phases when it 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 it's, it it maybe it doesn't so much. You know, yes, I love travel still, and um, though the thought of traveling on that degree now, it just I just think about it and it exhausts me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just bought a a house in Froome which is this delightful market town in Somerset which needs renovating and it's 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 a different challenge and when I was reading through about the um Pegasus constellation that you'd chosen as the logo it is all about change and transformation and I was just reflecting to myself you know during my 20s I was in the, the military during the 30s I've been this expat ultra running athlete competing at an international level in my 40s I'm like oh okay what is it and it's that tendrils of letting go of the past and you you write about having that courage to to do something different and it's I do feel at the moment I'm in a bit of a transition Mm. do I want to be racing at such a high level it takes a lot of a lot of investment a lot of time do I have that hunger hunger do I have that competitive edge or actually, have I achieved what I want to within that sphere? And it's 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 just time to do something different. Speaking of that, I I would love 
if you're willing to to tell us a little bit more about that part of the journey, because being a professional athlete as you are, there is, I mean, there's there's an identity that comes with that. And and you and I were talking before we started recording of, you know, yes, that's part of your identity, but it's not all of who you are. And and yet other people see what they want to see and they focus on what they want to see. And this is a very public part of your life, right? Where you are a sponsored athlete, you are winning races. Uh, you are in, like, it's incredible and amazing all the things that you have done and continue to do. And, and how does that process roll out as you pause and think, do I want to, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to keep pushing myself in this way? Um, so you can go any number of directions <laughs> from here, <laughs> whatever comes up for you, but I'd, I'd love to hear. Yeah. A little bit more. Yeah. Our identity and who we perceive ourselves to be is, and how much do we believe that ourselves and then how do we portray that to the world? Um, and it, it is almost like I can liken like my coach journey and my athletic journey almost in parallel with both parts of me. It's setting out on my journey to become a coach like how how doing the qualifications having your first few clients and it's like oh am I a coach or I feel a bit of an imposter syndrome I know that's kind of talked about quite a lot like what do I need to be confident so it's like yeah I'm a coach Mm -hmm. the same with my my running um career um I've always been pretty sporty um stun races so training in the military I found was really tricky due to operational commitments and it was just impossible to really plan a season and train consistently it wasn't until I left the military that my my running really really took off because I something I could prioritize it um and you know I'd done 70.3 um distance triathlon I'd done a couple of Ironman distance and you know been to the world championships in Las Vegas and Mount Tremblant so as you know as an age grouper I was a solid athlete um wasn't until I went and did the marathon to Sarbs in 2015 and I was training for it when we were living in Riyadh clearly mm-hmm. it's quite a convenient place to train because you yes. kind of know it. <laughs> <laughs> um but I went to that race a complete unknown nobody knew who I was and it was the 30th anniversary. I think it was 1,300 people doing it. And I ended up finishing in the top 50 and second female. And I'd come from nowhere. Like, no one knew who I was on the ultra running world. And I had very little media attention. Um, it was almost like, you know, who's, who is this person? We don't know who she is. She hasn't got a Twitter account. <laughs> it's a bit of a fluke. It's a bit of a one off. So, in a way, that kind of, that for me was quite frustrating and it fueled my kind of, I'm not good enough. I was like, come on, like a bit of recognition peeps out there. You know, I've come second. Like this doesn't happen. Like I'm a in the hardest race in the world. Yes. Yeah. And just nothing. So I, I was in a way that's kind of fueled. I'm like, okay, I'm going to prove myself. And, and that is how healthy is it to be driven by something like that as a form of motivation. Um, and you know, I do. Don't get me wrong. I love running. I absolutely. It's it, it, and again, it's it's that it's that rhythm. It's that movement. It's that freedom. It's of you know being out and the and I, I talk a lot about it's the the liminal the liminal time 
from dusk till dawn and dawn till dusk and running through the night is just beautiful being mm. out in nature just I feel so powerful and so insignificant at the same time so it's a real kind of primal connection um to to nature to the environment around me and I feel again you know incredibly lucky to be to be out there and you know having done the marathon to Saab it was I, I surprised myself as well doing so well and it, it is it's a little bit addictive it's like oh so I did that amount of training and I did this and this is in the desert but I really love the mountains okay I'd always wanted to do the ultra trail de Mont Blanc the UTMB you know living in Chamonix we've had an apartment there since 2000 and I'd spent you know Christmases and years the summer and I'd kind of grown up with the UTMB which you know it's a 160 mile race going through the mountains with about 10,000 meters of ascent it passes through Italy Switzerland and France and I never thought I could do it physically, mentally, or emotionally. It was just like beyond me when it started, what, 2003. I thought, you know, the people who were doing it were just like gods or something, like mere mortals couldn't tackle something. And I was like, actually, I'm, I'm going I'm, to, I want to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And it, 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 in a way, it became my life after the Marathon de Saab. It was, it was, you know, getting a place, even getting a place. And it isn't easy. You have to go through a series of points um and then just training and you know going out and wrecking the route and just getting to know there were sections of it that I literally knew every meter of it like the back of my hand and and that takes a certain amount of you know almost obsession to 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 really really invest in that and I loved it absolutely loved it um and yeah 2017 um it was a hard race temperatures got down to minus 10 um, on the tops with hoar frost and you know everything was freezing um, and I suffer really badly with my hands I've got frost nip when I was in the army doing Arctic warfare training in Norway with the marines so I've always suffered and you know your hands go so cold that you, they're shaking and you can't even like do the zip on your waterproof yeah. jacket up and you're kind of trying to fit your gloves on and yeah the batteries on your head torch drain really quickly because of the cold so it's mm-hmm. you're kind of battling against the elements um, and yeah, within that year, I finished in the two and a half thousand people started. I finished in, I think I was 92nd and I was seventh female. And that standing on that stage was just phenomenal. That is a memory that I will take with me. It was just, just that moment, if you could bottle it, was just, was just perfect. And you know, since then, I've gone on and raced in some amazing places, be it you know, Turkey, Sri Lanka, Italy. Um, and it's it's formed the rhythm of my year you know what's my a race what are my b races okay when's the rest period um going into it just and and looking back at my race seasons 2018 2019 now I'm like I over raced like Mm. when I look at what I did and the travel that was involved in the work I was like I was putting myself under a lot Mm. and then clearly COVID's happened and everything's just kind of stopped and paused so now, this year, I've got a couple of races. And this is kind of compounded by the fact that I really badly injured my ankle last August. And I've got a bit of fear around that. Will I be able to race at the same level? Yeah. And do I want to? And I was having interesting conversations with um, up at an event that I was supporting, the Highland Kings Ultra, a couple of weeks ago with some athletes who are, you know, retired athletes. And mm-hmm. it is that element of retirement at what point do you make that active choice that actually I've done what I want to do in my athletic career that's that is enough Mm. and 
actually I want to free up the time and the energy to do other things and it's addictive because I just love it (laughs) so I'm I'm going through it at the moment you know I've got a race in Austria in a month's time and it it comes back again like it's like I I rarely feel I've done enough inverted commas training and I'm like assessing my fitness at the moment am I ready how does it compound you know to three years ago checking my data on training peaks and Strava like do I am I as strong what are my times like and it's 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 nerve-wracking like going back and standing on that start line in Salzburg five o'clock on Saturday morning on the 17th 18th of June um yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how that day unfolds um and it's almost like kind of using the season as a bit of a gauge um I've got an event at the end of August in Chamonix the Tour de Savoy which is another one part of the UTMB series which is tricky it's more technical um uh so yeah watch this space watch this space that I'm aware I've kind of gone on off on a slight tangent into the ultra running world which isn't everybody's cup of tea I speak to a lot of people about ultra running and it's just like it's my world so it's I know all this kind of jargon and everything and other people's like ultra running what is it (laughs) it's it's amazing is what it is and um I, I think what you are talking about, I, I just sense a, a there's such a complexity there of it's clear you love running. You, you, there's no way to be an ultra runner if you don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I identify myself as having a love hate relationship with, or maybe like it starts off as hate and turns into running or loving when I uh, run, but um, the, the passion that comes through in your, in your voice and your energy, it's clear. And, and you have also been extremely successful. And so as you contemplate, okay, the question of will your ankle hold up, right? That there's a physical body element to that. That's a, that's a question mark. And there's the question that you're asking of, do I want to continue to push myself at these levels? And I, and I think I've, I've talked with a couple other professional athletes who are getting to that point in their life where, where it is a question like, well, do, do I retire? Do I continue doing this because I love it and don't care whether I place or just am out there loving being part of the racing? And, and I just think there's, there's such complexity there to ask and sit with and probably sit in the process of figuring out those questions because they don't necessarily, the answers don't necessarily come quickly to big questions like that and I, and I do think there's a part of it of going through the experience and what comes up during the experience mm. um so that's what I'm being open to and it's almost there's a lot of sacrifice involved of what is needed to compete at that level being all in yeah and ultra running isn't you're putting a, a degree of stress on your body. A degree, physically. she says. Yeah. <laughs> for those, for yeah. those listening who don't understand, the marathon de Saab was <laughs> six marathons in six days in the desert. Like yeah. a degree of stress on your body. Yeah. It's perhaps the understatement of our, our conversation, just for context. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, and it it's and I think it does come down to this 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 the recovery needed for that as well, mm. um, and going doing like a hundred miler, it, it's 
afterwards you need time to decompress like physically yeah. mentally and emotionally as well it yeah. takes it out of you and you know I in a, in a way this kind of circles back to you know what are the pillars of my non-negotiables it's it's nourishing my body because I put it through a lot <laughs> and I you know I, I love I love my body I'm constantly amazed by what it does and I feel incredibly fortunate about that you know a lot of people aren't happy in their body in their physicality um I remember you know I used to be embarrassed about like my feet um about my toes because generally don't really have many toenails um it's kind of a part of ultra running um and I love walking around barefoot or just with flip-flops you know I kind of listen to an amazing um episode of so it was a radio four where they described shoes as foot coffins mm. and actually when you look at the shape of your shoe and the shape of your foot there's a little bit of a difference um so how healthy is that and you know that's just it's 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 that appreciation for our body you know we only have one mm. um and you know we often take it for granted until something goes wrong and you know we talk about living longer whereas actually it, it's more we want to be living a healthy life longer not just prolonging mm. that end of life when actually you're not really capable of doing very much right right so Anna Marie I'd love to let's taking taking the conversation from the ultra running and you really mentioned it when you were talking about um the it's the UTMB right did I get the acronym correct UTMB and and the that being out in nature um the the feeling both powerful and also so tiny and small um in a place um like the Alps and nature is incredibly important to you um for lots of different reasons but I'd love to kind of transition into that part of the conversation of talking about nature and the the value of it to us as humans and um, how you incorporate it into your work. Mm. No, thank you for that invitation to segue. Um, and for me, another way to make life less difficult is to be in nature mm. in, in a nutshell. Um, yes. it's, it's almost just going outdoors at the beginning of my day barefoot standing on the grass and just being grounded you know this time of year in the southwest of England we've got the swallows have returned and they make this amazing noise as they dart between the terraced houses um and in the back garden where I'm living at the moment there's this huge weeping willow tree which is absolutely massive and just seeing the wind move through the tendrils um it, it just recenters me and brings me back so nature has you know now on a day-to-day basis and in and in you know growing up I link it back to my childhood and, and this is almost I have a, a, a podcast with another coach um because I, I love to take my practice outdoors into nature and one of the questions we always ask our guests is you know what's your first memory of being in nature mm-hmm. and and this I believe really illustrates an individual's connection to nature what is their relationship where does it stem from what does it mean to them and for me it's not a memory it's a photograph that I've got and you know I was three months old at the time so I can't remember back that far but it's this picture that I hold 
And it's me basically in a Phoenix plastic bag. Phoenix is a department store in Newcastle from where I was born. Um, wrapped in a blanket. And it was taken at the foot of a glacier in Norway. Wow. So my parents, you know, took premature baby, three months old. My grandparents thought I was mad. Um, and here I was, you know, outdoors. So I I grew up outside. Um, and the house that I lived in had huge windows. So it was almost as if outdoors was indoors anyway. Mm. And we had this massive um chestnut tree in the back garden that my bedroom overlooked so it was almost I felt as if I was in a tree house looking out at this this amazing tree and you know growing up French lessons Mrs Dixon I used to sit and I always would position my chair so I could see it out of a window and I still do that now that's something about being able just to see outside um where is where is a part of nature whether it's the sky whether it's a tree whether it's the, the field or something it just it, it just makes me feel safe in a way I hate being indoors where there's no windows it's almost like a little bit of I don't know agoraphobia I just feel kind of confined and trapped and just it unnerves me slightly so for me being outside that feeling of of freedom of being connected to something bigger of just feeling you know the wind brush my cheek um and just the the air just feels crisper when you breathe it in it's just kind of brighter um so for me, it's, it's it's like my safe place. It's my happy place. Mm. Um, and hey, partly joining the army to avoid being sat down in an office all day. <laughs> um, clearly, the reality was slightly different to what the adverts showed and what we talked about. You know, at some point, you kind of have to sit behind a computer. Um, but, you know, moving it into my kind of coaching work, um, you know, coaching qualifications are predominantly conducted indoors, sat down. And every time I had a peer coaching conversation, I'd be like, do you mind if we just maybe even just stand up and look out of a window or let's go for a walk around the block? So for me, it was it was what I was drawn to just intuitively. I wanted that element of movement. I wanted to be outdoors. Um, and then, you know, as I was working as a as a coach and setting myself up and finding my identity as a coach and you go through that whole world, who am I? Am I a executive leadership life what how am I niching and that in itself is a bit of a brand development exercise and I just wanted to be outdoors but no one else was doing it and it's I couldn't find anyone else who was doing it so then taking that first step yourself having that confidence to do it it was it was really hard um and now thankfully there's definitely more of a movement that is you know a appreciating the benefits of nature and yes some of that has come out of the lockdowns that we've all experienced yes you know some of it's due to some of the research from forest bathing for example um and other you know mental health benefits and actually if you then combine them working with a coach you know you're walking alongside somebody um it, it really supports you know the, the core competencies of you know, with, with designing new actions we're generating self-awareness we're wanting to think creatively to be innovative and actually nature we're a part of it it's almost recentering that um relationship and I love the phrase moving from ego to eco it's mm. beyond me as an individual um and I think if we all came to our work and lives being more eco the world could be a very different place. I love that phrase, moving from ego to eco. Yeah. There's 
I, I mean, as you're describing your garden with the weeping willow tree, I am simultaneously feeling the grounding and centering. And also um, I living in the city of Colombo right now, living in a high rise, it's one of, it's interesting how I've been able to notice how difficult it is because I feel so removed from nature and the city doesn't have a lot of green spaces. And, and so there's, um, I've, you know, put my mountain picture and lake picture on my wall behind me <laughs> because I need something, but, um, yeah, it is, it is so incredibly, um, grounding and I, yeah, I kind of get lost for words, but I, I, your description of it has brought up so many wonderful feelings for me. And I, and I guess here's a question for you um, for those like myself who can't be in a place of nature in this moment because of various factors in, in life and, and, and their decisions that I've made, I'll take responsibility for my decision to live here and, and, and live this, this life right now. Um, and also recognizing um, there is a, a loss of not being able to walk out my front door easily and be in the grass and in the trees and going for walks in beautiful parks or being in the mountains and things. What, what, what do you recommend for people who may not have access to quote unquote nature in the way that I personally traditionally think about it being out in the woods or in the mountains or in the water, you know, yeah, what, what, what can those of us who are in a place that doesn't necessarily feed us in that way, what can we do to stay connected to nature? I totally get it. I totally, totally get it. Um, and, and just for me, that full immersion in nature for me is being back in the Alps. I, I consider that home. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, Fortunately, I'm traveling tomorrow for the first time in two and a half years. And just oh. to be back in the mountains, to be held in the, it's like a cradle in the valley. And then it's the sheer size, it's the glaciers, it's the, it's, it's the enormity of it. It's that sense of awe of like the rawness of nature. It's like, it's a different force. Yes. Um, and you know, within nature, there is that duality to it. It's all not just all, you know, amazing and inspiring. There is a darkness and a shadow type to it. You know, within mm-hmm. nature, it's life and death. It's mm-hmm. it's both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is a reminder of our humanness. Is kind of what it comes back to. And as much as we've tried to avoid it and divorce ourselves from nature, we we are nature. Mm. um and I think remembering that can be can be a start Mm. and whether you know like you have you've got a massive image and and when you're vigil having something like that um pictures on walls of favorite places can really really help the other is plants um Mm. that element of kind of biophilia and from a you know, replenishment, oxygenating your room as well. Um, whether you have um, kind of plants dotted around your room, you know, can can help as well. And some form of, you know, inner visualization, meditation, remembering of favorite places can mm-hmm. help as well. You know, within our brains, 
the way that our neurons fire when we you know remember something it's the same pathways as if we are there it's, mm-hmm. it's like when they're doing muscle rehab whether you're doing an exercise or thinking that you're doing the exercise like the same muscles are firing mm. so there's that kind of neurological level that to a degree can help though I get it's it's not a full substitute for it's for a good being, reminder though uh, yeah no it's a good reminder because even as you were talking about the Alps um in 2019 um my husband was going to a war zone assignment and I intentionally chose to live in France in the mountains, because I knew that was the environment where I would be able to be okay. And there would be times where I'd be worried and and stressed about him. And yet when I'm in the mountains, the sense that I have is that everything's going to be okay one way or another, right? There, there's just that sense. And so intentionally choosing that, but even as you were just talking about it, and the valleys and the and the peaks I, I'm visualizing and I'm, and I'm and that feeling is coming back for me. So that is beautiful. And I thank you for that gift. And the second thing that came up for me as you're talking, one of the first things I did in my apartment on the 49th floor was get plants for my balcony, but I don't have any plants in my office, which is where I spend a lot of time. And so I just had this, I think I need to bring some plants into my office. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you for that. I think that will be, you yeah. know, like something living, right? Cause the, the, the picture on the wall is helpful and it, it's got the mountains and the lake and and that speaks to me. And yet having actually something living in my office, again, where I spend a lot of time, bring in a couple plants and I've got nice natural light. So why not? So thank you for that. <laughs> you need a little urban jungle in there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do um, have a bit of a plant, a little bit of a plant thing going on at the moment. So I've just got, I've got a massive big Benjamin fig bush just behind my computer (laughs) and then I've got another four just another four plants in here which isn't which isn't much but I live with with my partner who has cats and the cats tend to knock things off so it's a bit of an ongoing battle between the the cat and the plants (laughs) yes yes so Anna Marie, I mean, we could, we could talk all day and I'm going to go ahead and extend the invitation for you to come back for part two and three and four and <laughs> however many we, we can. Um, but before we wrap up today, I'd love for you to share a little bit of, about the work that you do and um, the coaching outdoors podcast. We'll include links in the, in, in the show notes for all of this, but, but share a little bit about what you do um, with your mm-hmm. coaching practice. Yeah, so I, I very much have a, a portfolio um, career, which I think a lot of coaches do, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I, I, I love to do is partner kind of one-on-one, ideally outdoors, um, if possible. So, um, you know, I have clients up in London and we walk along the banks of the Thames um, or closer by there's the, the Kellerton Avon Canal, which is a co-creating the conversation what comes through it, it definitely is a very different experience from being kind of sat down indoors I very much work with leaders um, across a variety of industries to be honest I I, I love that breadth um, and I feel that actually being an external really gives me a neutrality that I can bring in when I'm holding holding the space um, I also facilitate group conversations very much focusing around you know coaching whether that's 
offering support during you know the transition of bringing a coaching culture into an organization which takes time it's mm-hmm. not a quick fix um, it's a bit of a buzzword a bit of a magic wand that oh let's have a coaching culture and everything <laughs> is just sorted okay we're kind of in it for you the long haul you can't do that overnight for organizations <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> Damn. Um, and also around um, resilience and well-being and mm. very much opening this idea of kind of well-being up broader so yes we're looking at physical emotional mental social and spiritual dimensions as mm. well depending on where you know the organization feels able to go at this moment in time um, and then another part is I have a number of athletes who are looking to pursue their ultra ultra goals um which I, I admit I kind of get almost as excited about my own races when I'm supporting others um awesome. so that's a real pleasure and within all my work I, I see myself very much there to you know to support to serve whether that is an athlete or a, a board director it's it's ultimately you know we have one life work has increasingly become our life which I'm not entirely sure is particularly healthy and actually a lot of our identity is attached to our work and as humans we are more than that so how can we actually first of all give ourselves permission to challenge like in a way the status quo and really understand who we are and get the most out of life which you know is difficult and it is it is glorious and finally, just love to share about the passion podcast project that I have with a fellow coach, Alex Byrne. Um, so we've been co-hosting uh, a podcast which interviews practitioners who work within the outdoor space or with nature. Um, and it's basically what on a mission to encourage other coaches to take their practice outdoors. Nice. So we've um, had the opportunity to speak to a number of different people whether they're working more with Blue Health, whether they have more pilgrimages and retreats, whether they're integrating neuro-linguistic programming, whether they're working with groups, whether they're doing vision quests or shaman healing journeys or working with horses. It's, it's so diverse. And it's almost as we started on this journey, we didn't know where we were going to end up, but our network has just revealed these most amazing people who are doing phenomenal things all over the world. So if that is something that you're interested in, please do check that out. Absolutely. Yes. And we'll include uh, links to that in the show notes. So Anna Marie, thank you so much for sharing today. I truly feel like we've just scratched the surface. So I hope that you will consider coming back. And um, I just, I feel so grateful to have spent this time with you. Definitely. Count me in. I'd love to. Um, and it has been a real, really, really gorgeous way to, to start my day. Um, it's definitely set me on set me on a high to flow through the rest of it. So thank you. 